Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. And good morning to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, I hope you've enjoyed the shorter week thanks to Australia's national holiday. Yes, it's always good to uh, have a little bit of a break in the middle of the week. Um, Indeed. And congratulations, of course, to Glass Animals, who took out the hottest 100 by Triple J. Matthew, I thought we could start today with the vaccines. Given the critical importance of the vaccines to return us to global economic stability, can you talk us through how successful the world's countries or regions are deploying the vaccine? Well, actually, Craig, it's... it's uh doesn't look all that uh, promising at the moment, with the exception of a couple of countries like Israel and the UAE, where uh, 38% in the case of Israel, 23% in the case of UAE, uh, of the population have received um, vaccines. The rollout in the rest of the world is excruciatingly slow at the moment. Um, In fact, the leaders uh, uh, outside of those two countries are the US and the UK, but even these countries, um, which have, at the end of the day, originated the vaccines, uh, the rollout there is only 10% of the population in the case of the UK and 6% for the US. Um, when we look elsewhere, the rollout's actually between zero, um, because a lot of uh, countries are yet to start their vaccination program, uh, to an upper um, end of 3% in the case of, say, Denmark. If we look at the euro area as a whole, for example, uh, only about 2% of uh, the euro area population has received a jab. Um, but also of concern is this, the distribution of the vaccine, and that's very uneven. Um, you know, the access to available doses is being dominated by a, a few rich countries who have purchased over $4 billion of four billion dollars sorry four billion doses i should say Hmm. of the total seven billion doses um, of the various vaccines that are available worldwide low and middle income countries uh, so far have access to the vaccine mainly via uh, the covax partnership but that only covers around 20 percent of their populations and so it's you know it's far short of the 60 percent required for herd immunity matthew can i get a quick run through on the vaccine population coverage levels by country or by region well um the uh, North Americans and the UK have the highest rates at over four times their population in terms of uh, coverage. Australia and Europe uh, have about uh, a bit over two times population coverage. New Zealand, Japan, uh, they're about uh, 100% uh, in terms of population coverage. And then it drops way to below 100% for most of our trading nations, such as Indonesia, Vietnam, Hong Kong, Taiwan, India, and China. And and look, if we can just stay in uh, Asia for a second, are there any major differences in how they've handled COVID, Matthew, the vaccine, you mentioned the population coverage then, but the rollout of the vaccines they do have? Well, as I said, with the exception of the UAE, the, the rollout's you know, very low in most countries in the uh, East Asian region, including Australia. Um, a lot of them, as I said, are yet to commence their immunisation programs. Even China, which we know is producing its own vaccines, only inoculated about a percent of its population to date. Um, however, you know, vaccine rollout is only one factor influencing the resilience of the economy to COVID. You know, other key factors are things like the rates of uh, infection, the, the death rates, and, and indeed the access to vaccines. And, and here, when we look more generally at uh, that COVID 
those factors that generate COVID resilience, the, the news is much more positive. Uh, there's a number of um, resilience indexes that have been produced, but one that's very closely followed is um, the Bloomberg uh, COVID resilience index. It gives a, uh, a a picture that is common across all of these indexes. And, and in that index, Asian countries dominate the top 10 COVID resilient countries, and they include New Zealand, Singapore, ourselves, Taiwan, China, Japan, Hong Kong, and Vietnam. Um, when you look at the other end of the 53 countries covered by that index, the bottom 10 only has three Asian countries in it, and they are Iran, Pakistan, and Egypt. The strength of our region is uh, the relatively low case rates and low death rates. That's how we've handled the uh, uh, COVID. The weakness of the region is the low vaccine coverage rate by population. And with the exception, as I said, of those high income economies like New Zealand, Australia, uh, throw into that mix Japan and Hong Kong, the remainder of the region has not yet procured enough vaccine doses to cover their populations. Uh, and as I said, even in, in economies such as South Korea, Taiwan, Singapore, even China. In fact, most countries, as I mentioned, in our region have not procured enough vaccines to achieve herd immunity. Um, and their countries like Taiwan, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines, Bangladesh and Pakistan. And when you add to that, that low vaccine coverage, the fact that we've got very low um, uh, infection rates, the natural immunisation process that comes from a large number of the population having COVID is also low. So it's a bit like a double whammy. If you move to mm. other countries like in South America or even in the UK that have had these high infection rates, they're all getting close to herd immunity just through the natural um, infection of of the of COVID and that's not happening yet in uh, in Asia. You mentioned Australia a couple of times. There's also the Lowy Institute and their recent performance uh, index ranking Australia eighth um, globally in managing the effects of COVID. But how do you rank Australia's response, Matthew? And, and how do you see it comparing to the rest of the world? Well, we've really um, taken quite a different approach, I think, um, us and New Zealand, others in the region, to what's been done in most other um, uh, advanced economies. You know, we've pursued uh, what you could almost say is an eradication strategy, um, uh, which has really lowered our case rates and our death rates. Uh, we also have very high vaccine population coverage and, you know, as I said, purchased enough doses to uh, more than cover twice our population. Our weak point, as with the rest of the region, is our, our late rollout of the vaccine, which is yet to begin and is not scheduled until March. Um, but overall, when we when we think about our um, what we've been how we've been handling COVID, we've been and among uh, the most resilient countries, I think, uh, and indeed the the Bloomberg index ranks us third as the most uh, COVID resilient country um, behind New Zealand, which ranks number one and Singapore number two. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current economic foresights shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, what impact do you expect then that the Australian vaccine rollout you mentioned will have on our economy? Well, our high coverage rate, Craig, means that we should be able to achieve um, herd immunity fairly quickly. Um, that is if there's no supply chain bottlenecks, which is a big question. Um, and on that point, there's I think there's downside. Look, we're subscribing predominantly to AstraZeneca also, which is 
only 70% uh, in terms of its efficacy rate. And the other vaccine that we're predominantly described to, Novavax, um, it hasn't completed its phase three trials yet, and hence it's yet to receive regulatory approval. And also CSL, um, the main Australian-based producer of vaccines, which is a positive for us because at least we can produce it here in Australia. But mm. CSL doesn't have the capacity to produce the Novavax vaccine until it's completed the production of the AstraZeneca vaccines. That's where our bottleneck exists. And that um, rollout of the, uh, or move to Novavax won't happen until the second half of the year. So I think we're going to have to continue uh, for some period of time with social distancing and other measures for as for, for, for longer as a result of the of what I think will be a relatively slow rollout of the vaccine. Matthew, we spoke last year on the ability of Asia to complement Australia's trade reliance on China. So if Australia is to rely on Asia to play a role in its economic recovery, how concerned we should we be with the you know volatility of the response to COVID th thus far? Yeah, well, despite Asia's, um, you know, COVID resilience, the the fact that, you know, its weak point is um, uh, achieving herd immunity, I think, is going to be its weak point. Um, it's going to dampen um, particularly demand or international trading services. You know, that's the thing that's going to be restricted um, because international travels are not restricted. And there, that's going to be negative for our, our service sector exports, um, particularly tourism, educational services and international passenger travel. Um, in addition, our, our migration program will take longer to resume and that'll limit um, population growth. Um, however, on the flip side, the region's COVID resilience means that um, it's positive for the economic growth rates of the countries in our region. And, and for example, China is leading world uh, in terms of GDP growth. And it's now not only surpassed its pre-COVID level, but it's taken, it's, it's gone back to its pre-COVID trajectory. And what that's doing is driving very strong demand, not just in China, but in other countries around the region for Australia's bulk commodity exports, that's sustaining our terms of trade, it's sustaining our mining company profits, and that's assisting also with uh, government finances. Um, if you ask me who I'd like to be linked to in terms of global regions at the moment, give me the Asia region any day of the week in preference to North or South America or even Europe. You're listening to Craig Balanswaler and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the economic outlook as the globe rushes to deploy vaccines as those new waves of COVID occur. Matthew, when I take all what you've said this morning, it appears that on the aggregate for different reasons uh, around the world, COVID is going to be with us a lot longer. Um, so what does that mean for risk assets? Yeah, well, I, I think when I look at that long, I, I agree with you. It's going to be a, a, a longer period of to, to normalisation. That's going to mean that the pickup in growth is going to be, whilst we're sort of optimistic about a continuing recovering growth, that it's not going to be a sharp recovery back to pre-COVID um, trajectory rates. Um, inflation, I don't think will be a problem for a couple of years. So those concerns that markets had uh, about inflation going back a month or so ago, which drove higher interest rates is receding now. You've seen central banks and particularly FOMC this week reinforce um, the fact that it's not thinking of tapering um, 
the, the quantitative easing that it's doing. So, you know, risks around taper tantrums, et cetera, are also receding. Um, so for risk assets, we've, we've sort of got um, two, two factors. One is I think we're going to get um, a continuation of, of recovery, um, but not spectacular. But on the other hand, we're not going to get that rise um, in interest rates anytime or a sharp rise in interest rates anytime soon. So I think risk assets valuations um, are not faced with a, a significant collapse, nor do they have in front of them, you know, unlimited uh, boom. I think it's going to taper off from here. Um, and we've seen most of that sharp recovery in, in valuations uh, already having occurred. Matthew, thanks for your insights this morning. 2020 was a very different year, a disruptor, if you will, for all of us in so many different ways. However, with the multiple challenges in efficiently rolling out the vaccines globally at such scale, will 2021 be more of the same? And will 2021 see that inflation ninja sustain or dissipate? Presently a dilemma for central banks to deal with given the significant influence on monetary policy and the valuation for risk assets. I'm Craig Valenzuela. Please reach out to us on qpod at qrc.com with any questions or comments you'd like to share with us. And please have a super weekend.